Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our brothers and sisters who've been away for this past 10 days uh, training people in children's ministry in Papua New Guinea. We thank you for the wonderful opportunities you gave them, uh, not just to work amongst young people, but to train and equip leaders of the church there to know how to best communicate the gospel and your word to the young people of that nation. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to work through the people who learnt things from that trip for years to come in that country. Uh, we thank you especially for keeping them safe and well. We pray for uh, that brother Matt, who even though we don't know him, uh, we pray that you might restore him to health, uh, especially now that he's back here in Sydney. And Father, we, uh, we continue to give you great praise for James and Jane and the boys. We thank you for the time they have served with us here, especially uh, amongst the saints at Bexley. And Father, we pray that you might uh, give them a relaxing time now, a relaxing break before they start the new role. Help them as they settle in there to uh, quickly make new relationships and quickly uh, find out how you would have them serve in that church. But most of all, we pray that you might help James and Jane to continue doing what they've done so faithfully here, which is sharing the good news of Jesus with people and teaching your word faithfully and clearly. Um, we pray for us now as we look to this book of Jonah. Uh, that you will teach us what you want us to know from this wonderful part of Scripture. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jonah is what we're looking at, and Jonah is one of the great stories of the Bible. Anyone who went to Sunday school or uh, school Scripture or ever had a children's Bible knows the story of Jonah. Uh, you know all about it. Here it is. This is the children's Bible version, assuming the PowerPoint's working. Uh, here we are, so this is uh, Children's Bible, version of Jonah. There's Jonah, he has a particular type of beard that apparently was common in the Middle East at that time, at least amongst cartoonists. But anyway, uh, God told him to go to Nineveh, you know the story. God tells him to go to Nineveh, what happens next, Ben? He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, he goes on a boat instead. There's a massive storm, everyone's scared, Jonah looks a bit guilty, what happens next? I don't know what Jonah's doing there, but he's standing on the front of the boat looking scared and guilty. They throw Jonah overboard into the ocean, and what happens? He sinks down to the bottom of the sea, but then what? The big fish or the whale. It's always a whale in the children's Bible, and there he is with the blowhole conveniently acting as a funnel to God, uh, and along with the crabs and other things. And then my son Sam's favourite part of the children's Bible version of Jonah he gets vomited up onto the dry land. Sam just loves it because it uses the word vomit in the Bible. So that's his favourite part. Then there's more to the story. Most people think the story ends there. But there's more than that. He then goes, very happy, still with his funny beard, to Nineveh. And he tells people about God. And is there anything left in the story after that? I can't remember. There you go. That's it. That's the story of Jonah. We can all go home now. There's no reason for this sermon series. Uh, I want to say, because Jonah is so familiar to us, and as I say, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the story of Jonah. Uh, because it's so familiar, I often think people just skim over the surface of the book. People treat it as a children's story. So they put it sort of in there with the fairy tales and, and that sort of thing that you learn when you're a kid, uh, rather than actually studying it seriously as part of God's word to us as adult and children in the Bible. Uh, I sort of think familiarity breeds contempt a little bit with the story of Jonah. Uh, so I've got to say I've been looking forward to helping us look at Jonah over these four weeks, uh, and I've particularly been looking forward to sort of getting past the children's Bible Jonah. 
Uh, that's what I want us to do. I think Jonah is one of those great books that can get you back into reading your Bible. If you're out of the habit of reading your Bible, a great place to start is Jonah. Uh, it's short. It's four chapters. It's easy to read. More than that, it's full of great truths. We're going to see some amazing things. We might learn some new things or be reminded of old things. We're going to learn about how God is in control, how God is amazing and powerful and, and more powerful than anyone else. We're going to learn about how God's love is for all people. Uh, we're going to see how Jonah actually points us forward to Jesus and his death and resurrection. Uh, it points us to that. It challenges us to think about how we respond to hearing God's word. So, so much to learn from this book of Jonah. But more than that, it's just a ripping yarn. It's a great read. Uh, so I want to encourage you to go home and read it. So, uh, and I think as you read chapter 2 for next week, you won't stop. You'll read chapters 3 and 4 because uh, it is just a great story. And what you'll find is if you haven't read it in a while, that you get surprised a bit by it that's a bit different to what you might remember from your children's Bible. But anyway, let's get into it. So please take out your outline, have your Bible open there as well. First thing we want to ask is, who was Jonah? Uh, And we're introduced to him in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The first thing you see there is that Jonah is a real person. Uh, It's quite common these days to talk about Jonah as being like a parable. Uh, People question if this really happened or or not, and people think it's like a a graphic story told to make a point. Now, there's Christian brothers and sisters who believe that, but I want to say I think the Bible treats Jonah as a historical person. It it says he is the son of Amittai. That's the way you talk about people in the Bible's way of talking. Someone is someone else's son, and he's the son of that person. And more than that, Jesus treats all these events as historical. Uh, we can read it, we'll read about it in future weeks in Matthew, but he talks about Jonah as a real person. And he talks about the Ninevites, who Jonah goes to talk to, as real people. Uh, and as I say, uh, if the reason you don't want to believe in Jonah, if the reason you, you, you don't want to believe he is historical, is because you think the fish bit couldn't have happened, uh, I sort of want to challenge you and say, so I think you're forgetting that this is God we're talking about. Uh, This is the God who parted the Red Sea. This is the God who heals leprosy. Uh, This is the God who brings plagues, the God who raises the dead even. And so I want to say, if God wants to keep Jonah alive in the belly of a fish for three days, well, that's God's right. Uh, And in fact, you can read more about Jonah, son of Amittai, in 2 Kings chapter 14. Uh, Go away and read that during the week. We won't read it now. You've got the reference on your outline. Uh, But you read about him in 2 Kings. Uh, And what you learn there is that Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, I want to say I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson here to understand where Jonah fits in. And if this is all news to you, if you think, I don't know this history, I want to say to you, learn it. Uh, We need to know our Bibles really well, and you need to know this stuff if you're going to understand your Old Testament. And so there's some people who are currently, there there are people here who are currently doing the intro to the Bible course few people putting up their hands scattered around the place and we're going to be running that again in term two Uh, and can I say if after I've gone through this you go I didn't know any of that uh, I would encourage you to sign up for that course in fact write it on your feedback form tonight say I want to do intro to the bible where we just look at the whole history of the bible and then Luther will have your name for next term Uh, but up on the screen is going to come a bit of a timeline so have a look here 
this is the history of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, and the thing you might know is around 1000 BC was King David. Oh, we've lost it. It's gone. King David's dead. There we go. Uh, King David and his son, King Solomon. And that was the high point in Israel's history. So King David and King Solomon is when the borders went out as far as they ever went, when God's people, Israel, were really the centre of the world. And people came from other nations to see how God had blessed his people. But when King Solomon died, it basically all went to pot. Uh, It all went bad. And so the kingdom split into two. And so there was Judah in the south, and that was the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And if you like, they were the purest of the two kingdoms because they had Jerusalem and they had the temple uh, and they had the kings who were descended from King David. So that was Judah in the south, the smaller of the two kingdoms. And then in the north was Israel. And so Israel and Judah actually fought battles against each other. They started not liking each other and went through different times and all that sorts of things. But Israel was the 10 tribes in the north. And as you're reading your Old Testament, sometimes you'll come across it talking about Ephraim or talking about Samaria, that's talking about Israel. Ephraim was just the biggest of the tribes. Samaria was their new capital because they didn't have Jerusalem anymore. So that's the two kingdoms. By the time you get to Jonah, it's about 782 BC. See the date over there? You've got Uzziah king in the south and you've got a guy, Jeroboam II, king in the north. And Jeroboam was not a very nice guy and he wasn't a very good king which wasn't unusual because if you go and read the books of 1 and 2 Kings, it's like this constant refrain, he was not a very good king and he didn't please the Lord. Uh, And Jeroboam was like that. He worshipped idols. He did horrible things. He stopped worshipping God. You know, all those sort of stuff. That was Jeroboam II. And he was the king who Jonah was a prophet for. But the thing is, Jonah was one of the lucky prophets. Uh, You know, those prophets like Elijah and Elisha, They had to go to the king and say, you're hopeless. God's going to judge you. And then they had to run for their life. Jonah was one of the lucky prophets. God said, go and tell Jeroboam that actually I'm going to bless Israel at this time. I'm going to extend her boundaries. I've got good news to tell Jeroboam. So Jonah was one of the lucky guys. He got to tell good news to his king. So this was actually a very, very brief good period in Israel's history amongst a lot of bad stuff. That's where we are in the history of Israel. But now at this point, God had a different job for Jonah, a different message. Look at verse 2. He says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. Now you have to understand, this is a totally different ball game now for Jonah. So Nineveh was the great city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, Nineveh was the, 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 the capital, if not in reality, it was in, in, in reality, sorry, if not in name, it was in reality, of this incredible empire that ruled the world of that time. They were before Rome, they were before Babylon, they were the great empire and they went all over the place. And the thing about the Assyrians were, they were horrible. Uh, there was no political correctness in, in that time. Uh, where you had to say nice things about them. There was nothing nice to say about the Assyrians. Wherever they went, they raped, they plundered, they killed people, they tore down everyone else's buildings, they tore down temples, they did whatever they could do to wipe out everyone else on earth. 
So instead of God asking Jonah to do what he had before, which is go to his own king and tell him good news, now what does God want him to do? He wants him to go to his mortal enemy, the people he hates more than any other, and tell them bad news. Tell them you are wicked, God knows it, and he's going to judge you. So what does Jonah do? He says, not likely. Look at verse 3. It says, however, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, you don't need to know these places, but if you can sort of visualize a map, if, if, if Jonah is here in Israel and that's Nineveh over there, Tarshish is as far as you can get in the known world, you know, without going to America, which they haven't discovered yet. Tarshish is as far as you can get in that direction. And you can see what Jonah's doing, can't you? Jonah is running away from what God wants him to do. More than that, he's actually trying to run away from God, it says, from the presence of God. Now, we have to understand why Jonah is doing this. Uh, I think a lot of people get Jonah wrong. Uh, I think a lot of children's Bibles get Jonah wrong. Because what we do is we say, well, if I put myself in Jonah's shoes, I know why I'd run. I'd run because I'm scared. We sort of think of ourselves and put ourselves in Jonah's shoes and we say, we find it really hard to evangelize. We find it really hard to tell people who don't want to know Jesus about Jesus. We get scared when we do that. And so we sort of understand if God's asking Jonah to do the equivalent of, I'm trying to think, what would be the equivalent today? If he called on Rob to, to go to Iran and announce to Iran that Islam is evil. You can imagine what would happen to, to Rob if he got off the plane in Tehran and did that well that is we sort of think that's sort of what Jonah had to do go to the enemy go to the, the the people who don't worship God and say God's going to judge you and we think well Jonah was scared that's why he ran away uh, I'll tell you as we read all four chapters and as you read them over the next couple of weeks what you're going to see is Jonah was not scared Jonah is like the fearless Rambo of the Old Testament uh, he nothing scares Jonah you're going to see you see, Jonah was running away because he knew his God. And he knew that his God had this sort of, in his mind, unhappy habit of forgiving people. And Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh and they said sorry to God and changed their ways, then there was a chance that they wouldn't have hellfire and brimstone come down on them. But instead, God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want them forgiven. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He thought they were awful. He wanted God to judge them, not to offer them grace and mercy. You see, what Jonah is, is not a warning to us about don't be scared when you go and tell people about Jesus. Jonah is a warning about what you might call religious triumphalism or, or, or sort of religious racism. It's a warning against thinking that God's grace is only for people like me. Or God's grace and God's message of salvation is only for people who I think deserve it. It's only for people who I think are worthy of hearing about it. It's not for those people over there. And if you just think for a moment, who are the people who you sort of think, do you know what, I don't think I'd ever tell them about Jesus. Well, that, that is what Jonah is warning you against. And he's saying, no, 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 no. God's message is for everyone. But we'll come back to that more 
in future weeks. Let's get back into our story. Jonah runs away from God. He gets on this boat and goes in the opposite direction. But of course, God isn't like the idols. God isn't like the pagan gods who are bound by a place or a temple or something like that. You can't escape the presence of the God who is everywhere. And God doesn't let Jonah run away. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. We're meant to feel the violence of this. It's not that Jonah went to sea and God allowed a storm to happen. Do you see the language? God hurled the storm down on Jonah. What you're meant to see here is this is God's judgment. God is angry. He, it is his wrath towards Jonah and his sin. You cannot run away from God. He will find you and he will judge you, is what we're seeing here. And the poor sailors on the ship, I mean, they don't realize it, but they're sort of caught in the middle. They weren't Jews. They were pagans. They worshipped all sorts of other gods. And it says there that each of them cried out to their own god. Uh, one might have cried out to Baal. Uh, another might have cried out to Marduk. Another would have cried out to the god of the ocean, the god of the, the sea. Excuse me. They cried out to any god they'd ever heard of. They prayed and they prayed. They cried out. And what happened? You've answered it. Nothing. Nothing happened. There was no answer. Just by the way, this is a slap in the face to our world's postmodern view of religion. Uh, you often hear people say, I wonder if you've heard them, it doesn't matter which God you pray to as long as you're sincere. That's what matters. Uh, or people say, whatever you call him, God will hear you. Have you heard people say that sort of thing? I want to say Jonah 1 tells you that's rubbish. It's rubbish. See, this reminds us there is only one God who is living and active. There is only one God who listens to and answers our prayer. You see, when people pray to Buddha, they are talking to themselves because he is not real. When people pray to Allah, they are talking to themselves because he is not real. When people pray to crystals or whatever New Age type people do, they're talking to themselves. There is nothing intrinsically good about prayer. Unless you are talking to the real and living God, it's just talking to yourself. You see, and now for us, living after the time of Christ, the only prayer that is effective, the only prayer that is real and powerful, is prayer to God the Father in the name of the Son. That is the only prayer that actually works that actually does anything, that actually reaches God. But anyway, back to our story. These sailors were discovering this. They were discovering that their gods had nothing to offer them. Uh, so they, what did they do? They threw all the cargo overboard. They're trying to sort of stay alive. They're trying to lighten the load to keep the boat afloat. But then they realised their passenger wasn't anywhere to be seen. It's like, where's that guy who got on at Joppa? Where's he gone? What's happened to him? And so they go down into the bowels of the ship. And what do they find? they find Jonah is fast asleep down in the bottom of the ship. Uh, I think that's meant to surprise us. It's meant to amaze us as we get to that part of the story. Here is this storm like no other storm in history. This is supernatural. 
This is not something you will ever come across in a normal place, in a normal time in history. This is something supernatural. They're all about to die. They're all crying out for their life. And where is Jonah? He's sound asleep, even though he knows that he's the cause of it. I don't want to make too much of it, uh, but I wonder if this is an insight into how we can harden our heart and our conscience against our sin. Uh, See, there's a reality. Jonah should have been sleepless. He should have been racked by guilt. Uh, Sometimes, you know, when you are willingly sinning and you know it, you are sleepless. You you know there is something wrong between you and God. And, And that is a good thing, by the way, because that's a sign that there is hope of repentance. But you see, sometimes we can so harden our heart against God that we actually convince ourselves that we're not sinning. We actually convince ourselves that we've got nothing to be guilty about. And so, if, you'll excuse, if, you, if you think about it, we sleep soundly despite our sin. And that is a horribly dangerous place to be, a horribly spiritually dangerous place to be. God will not be mocked. And I wonder if that is where Jonah was at at this point. But the captain wouldn't let Jonah keep sleeping. Look at verse 6. So I just have to say this. Where's Emma? I did, I did imagine the, the captain probably being more like Mike than Emma, anyway, with a sort of burlier persona. But anyway, that's okay. Uh, the, Jonah, look at, uh, the captain says to Jonah, look at verse 6. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. See, they're desperate. They're saying, Our gods aren't listening. Maybe your God will. We, we need every prayer we can get. And I've never noticed this before until this week as I was looking at it closely. Again, do you notice there, as you look from verse 6 and on, Jonah still doesn't pray. They tell him to pray. He's the only man there who knows the only God who's real. He knows that God is the only one who can do anything about this, and yet he won't pray. I want to sort of say, why not? And again, it's conjecture, but I wonder if it's because he knows he's getting what he deserves. So why would he pray? Because he knows that he has to die. And that's why this is happening. But tied to that, I wonder if also it's because we don't pray when there is unrepentant sin in our hearts. See, the starting point of all prayer is confessing our sin to God and seeking his forgiveness. Uh, And Jonah isn't ready to confess his sin. Jonah is still angry at God. He's upset that he would ask him to do something so outlandish as to go to Nineveh. See, as I say, I'm only wondering, but this rings true to my experience. When there's unrepentant sin in my life, I stop praying. See, ironically, we stop talking to the one person who can actually help us with it at that point. And sadly, I've seen it so many times. People turn their backs on God. People stop praying. People stop reading the Bible. People stop meeting together with other Christians here at church. And very rarely do they do that because of intellectual problems with the Bible. Very, very rarely. Nearly always when you dig underneath, it's because there is unrepentant sin in their life. And because at heart, they want to say, I want to continue in my sin and I know that God is calling me not to. And so I'll turn my back on him. See, they want to leave their wife.
Refocus here. <laughs> See, when you dig deeper, it's nearly always because we want to continue in our sin. They want to leave their wife and they know God says not to. They want to sleep with their girlfriend and they know God says not to. They want to continue in their greedy lifestyle and they know God calls for them to live a different lifestyle. And so they resent God's call on their life and so turn away. But back to the boat. Uh, the sailors know there's something going on here. This is not a natural storm. They know that this is in some way judgment on sin. Uh, so they cast lots. They roll the dice to see who is to blame for this. Who, who should we point the finger at? Uh, that was how you judged the will of the gods in the ancient world. And on this occasion, God chose it here, chose to use it to point the finger at Jonah. And so they turn to Jonah. Look at verse 8. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And finally, at last, Jonah speaks. Look at verse 9. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. I think this is really quite funny, if it wasn't so serious. Because if you think about it, here is the man running away from God. That's what he says he's doing. Here is the man running away from God, and then he says, do you know the God I worship? You can't run away from him. That's what he tells them. He says, I worship the God you cannot run away from. Because if you think about it, the God who sits in the heavens, how can you run away from him? The God who made not just the dry land but the sea, that's everything. How can you run away from him? In a strange way, Jonah is evangelizing these sailors. He's doing what God wanted him to do in Nineveh, but he's doing it on a boat on the way to Tarshish. He's telling them about the one true God. That's what he's doing. And the sailors just immediately get it. Look at verse 10. It says, Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. See, they don't doubt that it's Yahweh behind this storm. They've already thrown out their gods. They say, Yeah, 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 we're Yahweh. He's the one. And they say to Jonah, what do we have to do? Look at verse 11. It says, so they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. I've never noticed this before until this week. Do you notice two little words in there that I think I'd always left out? They don't say, what should we do to calm this sea? They say, what should we do to you to calm this sea? Do you see that in there? I'd never noticed that before. It's not what do we have to do to be saved. It's what has to happen to you, Jonah, because you're the problem. That's what they're seeing. And you see how they get it? They say Yahweh is angry with Jonah. So the only way this is going to be dealt with is if Yahweh's anger at Jonah is assuaged, is dealt with, is burnt out. That's the only thing that can save us. And Jonah immediately knew what to happen. Look at verse 12. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. See, Jonah knew I have to be sacrificed. I have to be killed if you're going to be saved. God's righteous anger at me had to be dealt with. But they couldn't bring themselves to do it. If you look at verse 13, they try and row harder, it says, 
they, they, they sort of say, yeah, we, we don't want to do that, so let's just try and row harder, but the storm just gets worse and worse. They didn't want to kill him because throwing him into the sea was certain death. But finally they called out to the Lord. Look at verse 14. It says, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. It's a wonderful picture in one way. They feared God. That's what happened. The sailors came to know and fear God. And they didn't want to be guilty of killing a man. They knew that was wrong. But they said, God, we do what you tell us to do. And that's what you've told us to do. And as soon as Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped. Well, that's the story. We're going to leave the big fish to next week. I think Luther's going to get the big fish. Maybe we could have like a big fish for dinner at the hub beforehand or something. I don't know. Maybe that would be sacrilegious. I don't know. Uh, But it's a great story, isn't it? And uh, as you go through the story, you sort of met with all sorts of challenges, I think, and we've looked at some of them. But as I close, what I want us to do now is just look at the three main characters in the story and see what we learn from the three main characters. And the first is God. You see, this chapter is all about God's control over all creation. Verse 9 is the key. Uh, If you're a note taker, write verse 9. If you draw in your Bibles, not the black pew Bibles, if you've got your own Bible, underline verse 9. It's where it gets dragged out of Jonah and he says, I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. If you learn nothing else from Jonah chapter 1, it should be this. God is in control of everything. That's what we have to learn about God. And but next to that, there are no other gods besides him. He is in control of everything. We often talk about God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. And there are no other gods beside him. And you see, and Jonah 1, Jonah chapter 1 reminds us that our God is not like some little puppy. Our God is to be feared. Our God is not like some little puppy who you stroke on Sundays to keep him happy and then you put him back in his box. See, if you want want a God who makes no call on you, who only brings the good, who's only in control of the good stuff, then you worship a God like the God those sailors worshipped, a figment of your imagination. See, what Jonah reminds us is the real God is not to be mocked. He is not to be trifled with. The real God sends the storms, doesn't just save us from the storms. The real God judges disobedience. He does not just offer grace and mercy. You see, the real God does not exist for our benefit. The real God of Jonah chapter 1, he exists for us to worship him. He exists for us to listen to his word. He exists for us to trust and obey him. And he is not to be messed with. You cannot run away with the real, run away from the real and living God. That is the God we see in Jonah chapter 1. The next character, if you look there on your outline, is of course Jonah. Uh, and as we went through, we saw all sorts of warnings uh, for us in Jonah. Uh, don't try and run away from God. We saw the dangers of living with unrepentant sin in our life. And we'll see more of that as we go through the book. But there's a danger that we just think of Jonah as sort of like the reverse example for us. 
So the, the lesson of Jonah is, whatever Jonah does, do the opposite and you'll be godly. Uh, but it's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus says that Jonah points forward to him more than he is an example to us. Uh, that Jonah should point us and remind us of Jesus and teach us about Jesus. And as you read the story, I hope you started to see that as we went through it. You see it in the way Jonah has to face God's wrath for his sin. God's righteous anger had to be dealt with. You see, he had to be cast into the sea to die because the, the righteousness of God demanded that sin could not be left unpunished. More than that, you see in the way Jonah died so that the sailors could be saved. One man dies so that many might live. And Jesus said, that was pointing forward to me and my death where I die so that many might live. See, of course, the differences are clear. Jonah was dying because he deserved it. Jonah was dying for his own sin, whereas Jesus was innocent of all sin. He was dying for our sin on the cross. But even so, it's a wonderful reminder of how one day we will face the storm of God's judgment. One day we will stand before the God of the universe and be held accountable for our sin. And we can either take it ourselves or we can trust in the one who died in our place. Jesus is our Jonah. He died in our place. He took the punishment we deserved as our substitute when he died on the cross. And of course, we're going to see how Jonah points to the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 2 next week. But the final characters I want us to think on are the sailors, uh, those sort of innocent bystanders in the story, uh, because I think they're just a wonderful story of conversion. They start the story worshipping false gods, worshipping idols made of wood and stone and things like that. But they find out that those gods have nothing to offer them. They cry out to them and they're met with silence. But then what happens? They meet the God of the universe. They meet the God who made the sea and the earth and they discovered that he alone could offer them salvation. And it strikes me... Again, I'd not noticed it before, but do you notice that they resisted God's salvation? God said, this is what you have to do, throw Jonah overboard and you'll be saved. And what did they do? There in verse 13, it says, they said, no, 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 we'll try and row harder. Not only is the main point of this passage, but it reminds me of me. It's a bit like us, how we refuse to accept the gift of God's salvation and think we might just be able to save ourselves if we're just a little more religious. If we just do a few more good things instead of just trusting in Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf. Uh, but eventually these sailors turned and they found salvation in the God of the universe. And it's a wonderful verse at the end. Look at verse 16. It says, The men feared the Lord even more and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I want to tell you, that is your story. That's you in this chapter. If you have come to know Jesus. We have come to fear the Lord. We have come to accept his gift of salvation. And we don't offer a lamb or a goat in thanks like they did. But Romans 12 tells us we offer ourselves, we offer our lives, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. But what I love most here is that God saved those men through the worst evangelist in history. 
That's what I love about Jonah. God saved those men through this recalcitrant who didn't even want to tell them about God. And I sort of think, imagine what he could do through us. If God can save people through Jonah, who doesn't even want to tell them about God, telling them about God, imagine what he can do in our world through over a 100 people here who want to tell people about the God who sent his son to die for them. See, that's my prayer for how we might respond to Jonah. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of Scripture. We thank you for all it has to teach us about you. And we pray that we might not run away from your call like Jonah does, but instead we might live to serve you. But most of all, we thank you for the way this points us to Jesus and the fact that he has died in our place so we do not have to face the storm of your judgment, but instead we can know the forgiveness and salvation that only comes through Christ. And we pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.